Let's turn to the Gospel of Luke this morning. Gospel of Luke. Last Sunday we shared the prophetic word that Zacharias had in the Christmas story. We're going to look today at the prophetic song that Mary sang at the Christmas story. Let's start in chapter 1 of Luke and we'll begin reading at verse number 26. It says, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she, that is Mary, saw him, that is Gabriel the angel, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. It's one of the things about Mary is that she liked to roll things over in her heart and in her mind and she always wondering what's what's he talking about. And that's a characteristic. And that is a a good characteristic. Gabriel has come to visit Mary some many months after he had already visited an older man, an older priest by the name of Zacharias. And Gabriel, the angel that is the personal assistant of God, that angel that reveals divine mysteries to people on earth, as we know from the book of Daniel, makes these two visits to set in motion what you and I refer to as the, the Christmas story. Two angelic encounters with two very different people. Zacharias, as you know, was the old priest, and that visitation took place in the temple in Jerusalem, the center of Israel's national life. But this visitation to Mary takes place in a very different place. Mary is a young, yet unmarried woman in a remote village, not even in Judea, but in a place called Galilee. Now, that itself, folks, is good news. Because the gospel is not just to the high and lofty, important people. The gospel here has gone to the margins of society, to a young, unmarried woman in the middle of nowhere. Now, church, that's good news. Let me say it again. That's good news. That the gospel reaches out to those who are marginalized, disenfranchised, the poor, comes to the people with whom the rest of the world wants nothing to do with. That is good news. That is good news. When the angel Gabriel appeared to Zacharias, he's troubled by the fact he sees an angel. Mary, by contrast, is interesting. She's not so much troubled by the appearance of the angel, but she's more troubled at the content of what he says. And this angel, Gabriel, gives Mary this very elaborate greeting. And the news is this. She is to conceive in her womb a special child. And when Gabriel describes what that child would be, 
it really is in line with the common expectations of what people expect the Messiah would be. But Mary is puzzled, for sure. She's not yet married, um, and she's only a spouse, so how is she going to get herself pregnant? Should she move forward the wedding date? Something that she would not very likely accomplish in her culture. But it's a miracle. The conception is not going to happen in the ordinary way of sexual relations. There's going to be a miracle conception through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Now that's good news. Because the Gospel of Luke opens that way. How can this be? And for your information, it's going to end that way as well. Because the angel would say, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And that's how the story begins. And at the end of the Gospel of Luke, as he's about to send his disciples out to the world, they're going to ask the same question, well, how can this be? And the answer was, you tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So the fact that the story began this way tells how you and I are going to continue the story. It's not by might, and it's not by power, but it's by my Spirit, says the Lord. But then she's going to hear from this angel that this child is going to be more than the Messiah. This child that she's going to bear is none other than the very Son of God. And God is going to give Mary a, a sign. There are times when people ask for signs, they get rebuked for asking for signs, but there are times when God will initiate that I'm going to give you a sign. And he says, just to prove to you that this is really going to happen, remember your old cousin, Elizabeth, the one that's past bearing, childbearing age. Do you remember? Boy, this is a miracle. She has conceived. And if you can see that she has conceived, then you know that what I'm saying to you is going to be a true statement. And Mary submits to what she has heard. Very different than what Zacharias did. You remember last week, Zacharias? He's skeptical. You know, how can this be? And, but his way of saying it was more skepticism. But he's skeptical, but Mary is submissive uh, to that word. And the whole story... Uh, we, just, we just told you, but it's going to set up a theme. We're going to read through the whole Gospel of Luke. And that is this. For those who are on the margins of society, for those who are considered the poor, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, for those who are on the margins of society, when God reaches out to them in grace, there is generosity from heaven given to them. That's worth an amen. I'll say it again. There is generosity on God's part to fulfill the needs of those that the world cast away on the side. That's good. So when Mary hears this news that there's a sign, the Bible says that she makes haste. The shepherds also made haste. She makes haste to go find her old elderly cousin by the name of Elizabeth. Now this is an important principle here because one of Luke's favorite 
techniques of telling stories is this. And you find this in the book of Acts, which Luke also wrote. One of his favorite techniques is this, is that the Lord or an angel or the Spirit will speak to one individual, but the, the Lord doesn't give you the whole story. Anybody ever notice that when God talks to you? You wish he'd tell you more. He doesn't give you the whole story. And then what will happen is that God will come along and speak to somebody else. And they also don't get the whole story. And then what God has to do is bring the two together, each with their partial understanding of what's taking place. And when they get together, then there's a full revelation of the heart and the will of God. That happens many times in the storytellings of, of Luke. Remember in the book of Acts where Peter is praying on the housetop? Do you remember that story in Acts chapter 10? Remember that story? He's praying on the housetop and he, he's not getting it. You know, what do you mean, kill, eat all these unclean animals? He's just not getting it. And he says, you just obey me. And that's, so he has this revelation, and he doesn't really get what it's all about, and he's understanding it. But also, the Lord at the same time is appearing to somebody else named Cornelius. Remember that story? And he has this vision, an angel appears to him at the ninth hour, and he's not quite getting it all either, but he's getting its instructions. And then when Peter gets together and with Cornelius, they both have a part of the story. And when they get together, the whole story is told. And that is a theme that works all the way through the book of Acts because the same thing happens with Saul of Tarsus. Remember Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus? Remember that story? And he has his own encounter with God. He hears God for himself, but he doesn't get the whole story. And then the Lord appears to somebody else named Ananias, a certain disciple, and begins to speak to him. And Ananias doesn't get the whole story either. But when Saul of Tarsus and Ananias get together, then you have the complete revelation. And that happens with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. It happens with Paul and Barnabas as they deal with the church in Jerusalem in Acts 15. That's just a storytelling technique that Luke uses. You have a partial revelation given to Zacharias, which we looked at last week. And now you also have a partial revelation given to Mary as well. And you're not going to get the whole story, the full meaning, until you bring the two together. Because here is just a, a, a principle of God, is God wants you to be part of a body. God wants you to be in relationship with other people because you're not getting the whole story on your own. Are we understanding that? You're not getting the whole story on your own. And you have to be in relationship to other spirit-filled believers who God is talking to them and God is talking to you. And when you come together, then there comes a full knowledge of what God is doing. Because the goal of God is not to save individuals per se. The goal of God is for those individuals to come together in relationship of the corporate body of Christ. And that's where the fullness of God can be experienced in that. But that's another sermon, so I'll get off that. Mary makes haste 
and travels 70 miles from Galilee down to the Jerusalem area to visit her elderly cousin Elizabeth. Where for several months in the house of Elizabeth, she's going to find hospitality. Now this is very unusual, especially in that culture, for a young girl to make such a trip of that length unaccompanied. In that culture, if you were supposed to be married, you basically, until you entered that bridal chamber, it would be normal for her to live in seclusion. So this is a break with culture in doing this. But in addition to Mary receiving hospitality from Elizabeth, she brings something very special to the whole story as well. But I want you to note, and this is important for the story, that between Mary and Elizabeth, the roles have been reversed. Because Elizabeth is the older woman, because she is a daughter of Aaron, and because she is the wife of a priest, in this story, she should be the person with the upper hand, so to speak. She should be the exalted one simply because of her age and who she is and her lineage. However, in this story, the roles are reversed and the honored Elizabeth takes the role of the servant to Mary. And you find it's not Mary bestowing honor on Elizabeth, but it's Elizabeth bestowing honor on Mary. And the roles have been reversed. Now, listen carefully, because that is an important key element to this whole story. Because as we see what Mary prophesied about the coming of the child that she would bear is this, that in this world, God is going to reverse roles. Amen. God is going to reverse because this world is not built on biblical principles. And when the kingdom of God comes, he's going to reverse what this world has done to people. That is good news. So she's carrying the Savior in her womb, and her simple greeting to Elizabeth becomes the good news of salvation. Now this is fascinating. The yet unborn and yet unnamed child that will be named John, who will become John the Baptist, who the Bible says was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb, decides he has to act like a prophet before he's even born. That's amazing. And that's not without precedent in Scripture because the actions of unborn children prophetically describe the future. Do you remember Jacob and Esau wrestling in their mother's womb? And that became a prophecy about what their destinies would be. And so this prophet, yet unborn prophet, leaps within his mother's womb an action that causes his mother to prophesy. The action of the baby releases the gift of prophecy in Elizabeth. And Elizabeth gives prophecy to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. So, but the babe within Mary is none other than the Lord. That's important. Not just the Messiah, but is none other than the King. And it's God coming to visit. And the whole story is one of joy, joy, 
joy. God has come to reverse your life. And when all you've known is oppression and poverty and difficulty and and domination of Gentile powers and sin and sickness and demons ruling the day, to hear the good news that God has come to reverse the roles of this world, folks, that is good news. No wonder we can sing joy to the world. Everybody in this story is rejoicing. That's good news good news. So Mary had believed the angel's message. She went out to visit Elizabeth and she beheld the sign that the angel told her about. Now Elizabeth tells her what she has experienced and now Mary knows more than ever that what that angel had said to her is in fact the truth. The two women come together, the two stories come together and now There's a corporate sense of rejoicing. Faith overflows in knowledge, testimony. They celebrate and a community of God's people coming together is being birthed. Let's look at the song that Mary sings. Chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul does magnify the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty has done to me great things. And holy is his name. And His mercy is on them that fear Him from generation to generation. He has sold strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats. And He has exalted them of low degree. He's filled the hungry with good things. And the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to His seed forever. What are the themes of that song, that that prophecy that she gives? Like so many other people in the Bible, she just breaks out in song after God intervenes. Remember how Moses sang a song in Exodus 15 on the other side of the Red Sea? And you remember how Miriam led the women in a dance with the tambourine and, and sang a song? Do you remember how Deborah sang a song in Judges 5? Do you remember how Hannah sang a song after Samuel was presented at the temple? I mean, it just so happens that people get happy when God moves in their lives and they start singing. That's good news. I'll say that again so you can smile this time. I mean, this is good news. People get happy when God begins to intervene in their lives. And they have to break out in celebration and break out in song and celebrate what God has done. The church is a place to celebrate. Amen. Amen. So let your hair down and let it out. (laughs) For those of you who have hair, that is... (laughs) 
It's a place, church is a place of celebration where we burst forth in praise and we burst forth in song because God is a God that intervenes. And God is a God that has come to reverse the situations of our life. Amen. I'm going to preach myself happy. That's all right. You know, and the first part of what Mary has to sing is about what God has done to her personally. And then the last half of her song is expresses how what she has experienced is actually going to be a prototype of what everybody else should experience. What God has done in me, He intends to do for everybody. And He's going to reverse the roles. That is good news. It's all about His covenant. It's about all about His mercy. And so basically the way she sings this song is she is actually inviting you to join her in singing this song so that her experience becomes your experience. I mean, this Christmas message, folks, is a good message. It's a good message. Every prophecy, the purpose of prophecy, whether it comes as an utterance or comes as a song, is to reveal God's perspective of what He's doing. So this song is going to tell you why, what the Christmas story is all about. What is the perspective? What is the goal? And often when we tell the Christmas story, we tend to think only in terms of the first coming of Jesus but these prophetic utterances that Zacharias gave and that Mary gave here tell far more than just events about the birth of Jesus. They've come to tell us what the mission of Jesus is and what He will accomplish through His active ministry of preaching the kingdom of heaven. Mary's song is going to bring forth all sorts of elements from chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke. But let me just say this. This song is celebration. Amen. It is celebration. And so if we're going to have a Christmas carol service tonight, we are going to celebrate. Because this is good news. It's worth rejoicing about. It's worth shouting about. It's worth clapping our hands about. It's worth dancing about. This song is celebration. There is victory. God has come to intervene in your life. Hallelujah. God has come to intervene in our life. And what she sang sounds almost like it'd be taken out of the book of the Psalms. It's giving words of praise and it's giving reasons why we should praise the Lord. It's full of what's called parallelisms where he will just repeat the statement over and over again. But listen, as we listen to the song, here's the good news. God himself, not just Gabriel and angel, but God Himself has dramatically, God Himself has decisively broken into your life. Come on. That's worth celebrating. God has dramatically 
and God has decisively broken into your life. This song will teach us that God is absolutely in control of this world. He is in control of all human affairs. Caesar might think he is Lord, but has he got a thing to learn? The world thinks they're in control, but have they got a lesson to learn? The bankers think they are in control, but have they got something to learn? The good news is this, that God is in control. And He's bringing His power, and He's bringing in His Word, because the world has done wrong things to people, has oppressed people, has made them poor, has marginalized them, but God has come in His power, and He intends on showing who is King, and He intends on reversing the effects that this sinful world has done on people. That's what this song is all about. That's what Mary is praising God all about. That's the content of this song. He is, this child is God, the Son of God. He's the Son of the Most High. His kingdom will never end. And even before He's born, you address Him as Lord. Even before He's born. So this miraculous conception has set in motion the divine saving activity of God to mess up this world and set it straight. Come on. This is good news. This is good news. That which is going to change the world has been set in motion. Now what Mary has personally experienced well, it's going to be played out time and time again in the public ministry of Jesus. What she sang in prophecy is going to be enacted out in the ministry of Jesus time and time and time again. The poor have the gospel preached to them. There are two themes that underlie in her prophecy, two themes that underlie in her song. Here they are. God is described. This God who is breaking into your life. This God who's breaking into history. This God who's come to set you free from what this world has done to you and reverse the roles. This God is a divine warrior. Come on. I want you to understand who is breaking into your life. So let me say it again. This God is a divine warrior. And His goal is to accomplish your deliverance. Who's breaking into history here? It's a divine warrior whose goal is to accomplish your deliverance. That's the basis of her prophetic song. And the other thing that underpins her prophetic song is this, that this same God just happens to be merciful. And He's faithful to keep His promises, to keep His covenant. Now, folks, that's something worth rejoicing about. So just to get you in the mood, I'll say it again. This God, who is breaking into history, is a divine warrior whose goal is to accomplish your deliverance from what an evil and an ungodly world has done to you. 
And he happens to be a merciful God who is faithful in remembering his promises and remembering his covenants. He acts dynamically. God is, in this psalm that, he, that's, that Mary sings, God is dynamically opposed to the proud. He is dynamically opposed to those who have power at the expense of other people. He is a merciful God. And all that God does is on behalf of those who fear Him. So Mary can't help herself. When she realizes through what Mary has said to her and what the angel has said to her and these two stories are coming together, is birthing a powerful revelation in her life, a powerful revelation in her heart. And she can hardly contain herself. So she has to say, my soul does magnify the Lord. What's your response to this good news? What is your response to this good news? My soul does magnify the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. God looked upon her with favor. That's good news. Because in the eyes of the world, she's nothing. She is lowly. She's an unmarried woman who lives in some obscure village in an ungodly place called Galilee, away from everything important. That's who God appears to. What's your response to that? What's our response to that? This is a manifestation of an almighty God who's merciful. That's what this story is all about. When she calls herself lowly, well, that's kind of representative of all the oppressed people of God. It's, it's a word that the Bible uses to describe how God's people have been dominated by foreign powers over the centuries. God has come to set His people free. The, the lowly means the poor. And in the Gospel of Luke, that's a special word. It means those who have low status, low honor, or no honor at all, but it's a word that also describes their poor poverty before God, natural poverty, spiritual poverty. Good news. Good news. God is the Savior of such the people. What He's done for Mary, He will do for all. This is good news. What's the basis of her praise? What has she learned? What truth has been made known to her? Forgive me for the repetition, but it's worth shouting about. God is a divine warrior who has come to do battle with your enemies. That's what this message is all about. What God has done for her, He will do for everybody. I mean, her song picks up all the themes from Luke chapter 1 and and Luke chapter 2, all the themes, the words, He's God, He is Lord. Magnify, my soul magnifies the Lord. The Lord has magnified His mercy. There's rejoicing through everybody. Zacharias learns to rejoice. Elizabeth rejoices. Mary rejoices. The shepherds rejoice. This is good news. Let your hair down and rejoice. This is good stuff. He's the Savior. Think about this where it says He looked favorably. Aren't you glad He has looked favorably upon you? Would you rather look at you some other way? I mean, He looks with favor upon us. The world may cast us aside. We may be nothing in the eyes of the world. 
but there is somebody who looks with favor upon you. That is good stuff. We're low social status. That's okay. There's somebody who's come to reverse these things. Amen. We're His servants, handmaidens. That's all right. The world gets to call you blessed. Isn't that amazing? The world who looks down upon you is going to have to turn around and call you blessed because He has come to reverse the situation. God is the mighty one. God is the one of all power. He's the one who does the impossible and does it in his sleep. Not that he sleeps, but you know, there's no effort for him to do the impossible. I like where Mary says, he's done to me great things. Great things. Oh, John the Baptist would be called great. He's a great God. What he's done for you, this whole story is something great. He's the Holy One. So, what powerful stories. I mean, what she says about herself in verses 44, 45 to 46 to 50 is amazing. And then when you get to verse number 51 in this song, she begins to emphasize that what she has personally experienced here is a prototype for the whole world. It's a prototype for the whole world. It takes in a much wider view. Verse 51, He has shown strength with His arm. What that means? That's an Old Testament phrase, you know. When the Lord has made bare His holy arm. Do you understand what that phrase means? That He's shown strength with His arm? That means, God. the Bible uses that phrase to talk about the work of God in creation. And it talks about how God has preserved His people, especially in the Old Testament story of the Exodus. When it says God has buried His holy arm, you're supposed to think Exodus story. So I want you to think of the Exodus story. How God conquered the gods of Egypt. How God devastated a nation that dare held God's people in bondage. Think of that story. And that's what God has come to do. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what Christmas is all about. Folks, we've got a good message to tell this world. We have a good message to tell this world. It's not a message that just, you know, you'll squeak through and, you know, just hopefully we're just going to squeak through. No, no. This is a mighty God who does great things, who has come to reverse what the sinful world has done to His people. This is a message of power. This song groups together people like the proud and the powerful and the rich. God's going to put them down. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, as you read the whole Gospel of Luke, it is those very people, the proud, the powerful, and the rich. They're the ones who constantly oppose Jesus all the way through the Gospel of Luke. These are people who grasp for social respect and they grasp to have positions of honor. And in doing so, they have to exclude everybody who is less fortunate. And they enjoy their social status. 
They enjoy it, but they have got it at the expense of other people. They have oppressed. When the powerful and the privileged people of this world oppose God, they always do it by oppressing other people to whom life has not been kind. Do you know anybody to whom life has not been kind? I got good news. The Christmas story has come to reverse their situation. We have good news to tell people. So what does this Christmas story tell you and me about God? How does what Mary has said here, how does it complement what Zacharias will share later, even though we heard him last week? He actually comes later because, remember, he couldn't speak for a while. So we have to wait till his tongue was loose to share. Zacharias, what did he tell us? He came to tell us that God has come to visit his people. And you remember what the word visit means? That means he's come to take note of the needs so he can figure out the best way of meeting those needs. He has come to set people free from bondages because he's faithful to his covenant and he is a merciful God. And here comes Mary with another part of the story and that God is the mighty one who acts on behalf of the lowly who are opposed by the privileged people of this world. This is good news. The mighty one takes the side of the lowly. The mighty one takes the side of the lowly. Say it again. The mighty one takes the side of the lowly. That's not to give the lowly a high status for themselves, but it's because God is opposed to the whole evil system that this world runs by. He's opposed to it. It's not built on godly principles. And the Christmas story says God has come to intervene and reverse what sin and an evil society has done to people. So when you think of the Christmas story, according to Zacharias and according to Mary, this is the purpose. This is the purpose. And then you see that purpose worked out in the Spirit-anointed ministry of Jesus for the rest of the Gospel of Luke. And that's what He has sent us to do. He has sent us with that same message that through the kingdom of heaven, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has come to reverse what Satan has done, what demons have done, what an evil society has done, what sickness has done. The kingdom of heaven that we preached is a message that displaces the powers of darkness in people's lives. 
That's according to Zacharias and Mary, why Jesus came. That's what it's all about. So our question would be, what's our response going to be? Will we respond like Zacharias with a little bit of skepticism and say, well, yeah, sure. In a million years, maybe. That's not possible. Or will we respond more like Mary, who's not so much troubled that an angel appears to her, but a little bit at the content and ask a question, well, how can this be? And the answer is very easy. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And how will you and I finish what Jesus has begun? The answer is the same. Tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And you'll be witnesses to me. Will I respond like Zacharias? Or will I respond like Mary to this whole story? I've made my choice. I don't know about you. But I'm going to choose to respond like Mary in this whole thing. God's actions are rooted in and motivated by His mercy. He's a covenant-keeping God, faithful to His promises. What happened to Mary is a prototype of what the Gospel will do for everybody. Good news. God is making good on what He has covenant to do with His people. This is God's nature. He remembers Therefore, he acts. Therefore, we are to be filled with hope and courage. Let's read the song one more time. 46, And Mary said, My soul does magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty has done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has set away empty. He has helped His servants, Israel, in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His seed forever. Remember that this story is telling you that God is a divine warrior that has come to accomplish your deliverance. And He is a merciful God who just happens to be faithful and keep covenant to His promises.